My sermon text this morning is from Hebrews chapter 3, continuing from last week, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. It has been an interesting week. Has it been interesting for anyone else other than me? See, we thought we were done with hurricanes. Thursday afternoon, I hear a loud crack, and I run to my front door to see one of my trees split in the middle in my front yard. And only a few minutes later, I get a call from some dear friends of ours who had a tree not only break in their backyard, but the tree fell on their car and into their house, and they can't live in their house anymore. Uh, and, and now we have some house guests, and it's a full house, and my life is even more chaotic than normal. Uh, here is just a sampling of some other conversations I had over the last week. I had conversations about imprisonment, lawsuits, deadly infections, despair, natural disaster, a 10-month-old uh, baby going in for an amputation, financial distress, difficult work situations, emergency room visits, thousands of Nigerian Christians who have been martyred in recent months, Christians in Pakistan swimming in sewers so that they can feed their families. And that's not even what most of my life was this week. Most of my life was like doing dishes and teaching kids and making sure everyone's alive. That was most of my week. You see, we look around us and we struggle to connect the high and lofty theology that we talked about last week from Hebrews 1. To connect this high and lofty one who is lifted up above the host of heaven, Jesus Christ, to normal life. To normal life, human society, America, is built upon an economy of trying to make sense of the world around us, to make sense of the lives we live every day. And if I could, if I could paraphrase the first verse of Hebrews chapter 3 that we heard read this morning, therefore... In the midst of all this temptation and suffering and normal life, I want all of my brothers and sisters who are devoted to the Lord, every one of you who has received your calling from the God of heaven, fix your heart and your mind on Jesus. He is the one sent from heaven to us. Consider Him the only one who can lead us into God's rest. Therefore, just like last week, just like last week, our reading points back to what came before. Hebrews chapter 3 is built upon everything that comes before. In the immediate context, this is Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, but really the wider context is the whole Bible. If you pick up Hebrews and you start reading, there's quotes from all over the Bible as we saw last week, and it's quite confusing if you don't know what's going on in the Scriptures. Now, when Jesus walked onto the first century scene of the drama of Scripture, the demons did not question his authority. They knew who he was. He was the Holy One of God. Right, writing to a primarily Jewish audience, the writer of Hebrews didn't shy away from Jesus' exalted message about himself. And so I'll summarize from last week. Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the inheritor and creator of everything. 
The sun is the radiance of Yahweh. In his nature, the sun is God. The sun upholds the universe by his powerful word. He made purification for sins. He is co-equal with God in authority. There is one name above every name. Among the host of heaven and over all the earth, one name over all, and that name is applied to Jesus, the Son. Jesus is the highly exalted one at the center of Deuteronomy, at the center of the sacred histories. The psalmist and the angels bow down and praise and worship Jesus as the Holy One. So continuing into Hebrews chapter 2, the proper response, which we considered last week, the proper response to Jesus' exalted testimony about himself is to take his message seriously and pay close attention to it. I lived in the church growing up. I lived in the church. I was there all the time, and I never honestly considered this text until I was doing my own laundry for myself in Olathe, Kansas. Before cell phones, I had to read something else, right? I read my Bible probably for the first time in Kansas in a basement of a nice old lady who let me use her washer and dryer. So the call last week, and again my call again this week, is pretty normal. It's a pretty simple message. We need to read this faithful testimony and then accept it or reject it. Don't claim to reject Christianity if you've never honestly considered this text. Or as G.K. Chesterton said, imagine the effect on a man's mind if he did really do what the critics are always talking about doing, if he did really read the New Testament. If you actually did read the Bible for yourself, the surprise is not, oh wow, this is so, this is, makes so much sense. The surprise is, and I bet, I bet money that the Christ of the gospel might actually seem more strange and terrible than you imagined. But our sermon text last week, and continuing in our text today, Hebrews wasn't centrally addressed to outsiders or to skeptics. The Bible is for those who are already following the scriptures, who are always who are already acknowledging God. The writer warned Christians primarily. What makes you think that you're a follower of Jesus if you don't actually pay close attention to the teachings of Jesus? Join with the angels on high. Enter into the reliable testimony of the prophets, the angels and the martyrs. Don't claim to follow Christ unless you pay close attention to his words. This is where we left off last week in Hebrews chapter 2. That was all fun. All fun last week. Now this week, we come to Jesus, the highly exalted one on the throne right now. This picture of Jesus that we considered from Hebrews chapter 1 and beginning in Hebrews chapter 2, we considered this person. And how is this person reigning and ruling on the throne right now in the midst of the chaos of normal life. This is not what we see. Hebrews chapter 2, at present, 
we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. If Jesus is on the throne, why is there so much suffering? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So let me summarize. Jesus is the king. All things exist for him. All things exist because of him. Jesus is already crowned with glory and honor. What does the true glory and honor of Jesus look like? Well, the true glory and honor of Christ looks like one who wears a crown of thorns. The exaltation of the Son in Hebrews chapter 1 is made flesh in Hebrews chapter 2. God in the flesh. Jesus entering into the suffering world. But he didn't enter into the world as a conquering God. He was born as a baby. He lived without a home as a refugee in Egypt. And for 30 years he lived a normal small town Jewish life that we don't even know anything about. We can imagine that he went to school. He learned. He danced at weddings. He cried at funerals. He was tempted. He suffered loss. He suffered through family reunions. He listened to bad sermons at synagogues. He went to work, to festivals, and so on and so forth. As a man, he touched the sick. He ate with outsiders and with Roman centurions and Pharisees. He taught his disciples and the crowds about the kingdom of God. And he claimed that the kingdom of God was for him, was already his. It was his kingdom. The creator of all things lived a humble human life. The humility of Jesus is not a passing feigned humility. God did not fake an injury so that he could sympathize with you. Early church father John Chrysostom said that Jesus, like a good doctor, tasted the medicine before he gave it to us. Even more than a taste, Jesus drank the cup of sin and shame all the way to the bottom from the beginning of his life until the crucifixion. He was tortured, despised, and crucified, and died. I can read books about going to war, but I will never begin to know what soldiers have actually experienced. I can hold my wife's hand through giving birth to three gigantic children. My fault. But I can't even begin to imagine what she went through. Jesus' humility, Jesus' condescension from the highest heaven is not a passive dip-your-foot-in-the-water kind of humility. He dove into the deep end all the way to the bottom. 
And so, as Hebrews 2 says, He is the perfect and complete founder of our salvation. He was more deeply tempted, more deeply suffered, so that by grace we might follow Him through all of normal life. So to recap, Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is exalted above the angels. Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus took on flesh. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels so that he might enter into the depths of human suffering and become the perfect founder of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Listen to our sermon text again. Therefore, because of all of this, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let me me restate that. Therefore, those of you who are devoted to Jesus, remember again his glory and honor. Consider Jesus for whom and by whom all things exist. Remember the king lifted high on the cross in his deity. Jesus is above the host of heaven. In his humble humanity, Jesus became the lowest even unto death. And he, the man Jesus Christ, is more highly exalted than even the faithful Moses. Moses is a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus Jesus is the builder of the house. So what? How are we supposed to relate to all of this dense and intense theology? How are we supposed to relate to all this? Well, um, the very simple answer this morning is we need to read our Bible. We need to read the whole story. As 2018 American Gentile evangelicals, we are pretty comfortable with saying that Jesus is above angels. We are also, in some ways, paradoxically, comfortable with God being born of woman, living and then dying on a cross. But what is the deal with Moses all about? Why compare faithful Moses with the ever more faithful Jesus? Well, if you're part of the Jewish audience of this first letter... Moses evokes an entire story, an entire story. And the writer continues in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The incarnation of the Son of God makes sense 
within a story. And this is the story. Followers of God lived as captives in Egypt, and Moses was sent by God as his messenger to set his people free. So as the story goes, then Moses led the people out of Egypt and on the way to their promised home, on their way to the place where they would rest from all of their slave labor, they lost faith on the road. They went astray in their heart. The faithful deliverer of God's people from Egypt, Moses never made it to the promised land. He never entered God's rest. In the wilderness, Moses came down from the mountain with the words of Yahweh for his people, but they did not listen. Hebrews chapter 3 and continuing in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 16, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The message of the angels is the greater message of Jesus who is above the angels. The message of Moses, which was rejected in the wilderness... Has a, is a greater message, it's in the same story, this higher messenger, this highest of the human ones, they still reject it. And so we are called in this letter to return again to the true story, to understand our suffering in the light of this story. Moses delivered God's people from Pharaoh. Jesus delivered his people from the devil and the grave. Moses delivered the word of Yahweh. Jesus is the word of Yahweh made flesh. Moses instituted continual daily sacrifices for the sins of the people. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin. And the rest of this letter to the Hebrews unpacks all of the details about how Jesus is better. But you don't have to understand all the details right now. But you need to know the story. You see, we look around us and we struggle to understand the suffering and chaos of normal life. If you listen to the stories of romantic comedies over and over again, then you will despair or leave when the difficulties of real romance come. Jesus does not fit neatly into that story. If you listen to the stories of intense cable news capitalists, you will interpret all difficulties in life as an assault on the American dream. 
Jesus does not fit neatly into that story. If you listen to the story of NPR or carefully curated social media, then you will interpret all sufferings as the consequence of hierarchical corrupt power structures. Jesus does not fit neatly into that story. The, the mantras of Joel Osteen, enlightened academic discussion, the drudge report, Google's algorithms, these are all telling a story, and you will interpret your life through the stories that you pay close attention. So if you want to understand the humanity of Jesus and how that fits together with the divinity of Jesus, you have to read the story. Jesus only fits into one story. And so here's my one application for you this morning. Read the story. You have to do it for yourself. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider the story of Jesus again. I'm going to finish this short sermon with a long quote from Thomas Long. Thomas Long. He summarizes it like this. As long as things go well, of course, remaining faithful is little challenge. But when trouble starts, when the storms of sorrow begin to rage, when the weeds of failure grow in the garden, when the valley of the shadow of death closes in, when the mouth goes dry in the spiritual desert, when all hell breaks loose, then we are tempted to ad-lib the ending, to trade God's story for one that is happier, easier, more upbeat, safer, less demanding, or at least one we can touch and see and hold in our hands. What it means to be faithful is to harmonize all of one's action to God's essential plot. On the seventh day, God the playwright rested, and the basic outlines of the plot were finished, complete and perfect. We actors are told the plot and know where the play is surely going in God's providence, but we have been given freedom to work our way to the end. The problem, however is that the play is so long, the plot so complicated, so full of twists and unexpected turns, so ironic, so rich and tragic and painful moments that it is easy to get lost, to get so caught up in one of the scenes that the outcome of the whole play is forgotten. Some losing track of the plot become disheartened and abandon the play in the middle. Others, despairing of finding meaning in the play, begin to drift away from the plot. The cast is restless, sometimes in disarray. And the only way to keep us faithful, of course, is to keep reminding us of the basic plot. That is precisely what the writer of Hebrews is doing in this sermon within a sermon. Therefore... Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider the story of Jesus for yourself again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.